All right, what's happening? Everybody good tonight? Yes or no? Yes. Long bus ride, yes or no? Yes, I know. When, man, when I was a youth pastor, we used to drive like 24 hours. Y'all got it easy. How many hours did y'all go? About 9, 10 hours, something like that? It's not too bad. All right, hey, real quick, let's do an introduction. My name's Chris. You can call me Coach or Chris. It's up to you, okay? Coach may be easier for some of y'all, but I need to learn your name. So when I count to three, I want everybody to shout your name to me, and I'll do my best. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah, that sounded awesome. All right, good. Now, here's the deal. I promise you, I will do my very best to get to know your name, uh, get to know you. Uh, Steve said earlier, I am a basketball coach. I'm not your normal speaker. Um, I coach at a high school in Dallas, Texas, a place called Prestonwood Christian. Uh, been there for a lot of years. I was a youth pastor for 20 years. Uh, and uh, so that's all you need to know. Married, got a great wife. Her name's Amanda. I got three kids, Paxton, Bowman, Carrington. Uh, and I have a dog named Espen, ESPN. Figure it out. All right, good. Uh, real quick, uh, just so you all know what I was doing two weeks ago, I want to show you one of my buddies real quick. Uh, one of my players right here, his name is Julius Randall. played at a place called Kentucky. He's now, if you go to the next slide, uh, with the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm incredible proud of Julius. I was with him two weeks ago. We were working out in the gym. Uh, he's about 95% healed. He had an injury this year that sidelined him, sidelined him from his rookie season. He broke his leg. Uh, it was pretty tragic for an 18-year-old kid uh, to uh, have that happen. Let me show the next slide. Um, and uh, he set out all year. Uh, that was the first game of the year and uh, didn't get to play his rookie season. Uh, thankfully, all of his money was guaranteed and his Nike contract was bigger than his uh, salary. All right, so, uh, but here's the next thing, this picture of him. This is what you'll see this fall of Julius. And I was with him two weeks ago and we were sitting in my gym and we were sitting there talking. And I said, Julius, what'd you learn? What did you learn from being injured, from having your dreams taken from you from an entire year? Your rookie season being taken from you. What did you learn? Here's what he said to me. He said, I learned how committed you have to be to make it in this league. And tonight, what I want to do is talk to you about that very word, the word commitment. I mean, that's what we're going to talk about tonight, and that's what we're going to look at. So if you have a Bible, take your Bible and open it up to the book of Ephesians. And go to chapter 5 and just kind of hold your place there. We're going to come back to it. Now listen, I'm the kind of guy that when we come in here, we're going to study the Bible. I'm going to be real with you guys. I walk the halls with high school students every day of my life. When I'm not on campus with them, I'm traveling the country doing this with high school students. So I'm with high school students as much as anyone I know of, all right? And I get it. And so I'm going to shoot straight with you. The only thing I ask of you in this whole entire process of this week is that you would ask God to speak to your heart. That you would open up yourself to hear from him. And that's all I'm going to ask. How many of y'all have ever been a part of a team? Any kind of team. Whether you were like 4th grade, 12th grade, don't matter. Part of a team. Something. Everybody almost. You at some point has been a part of a team. How many of y'all believe this? That the weirdest people make up teams. Do anybody believe that in here? I do. I've been a part of teams my whole life. I was fortunate enough to play college basketball. And when I was playing college basketball, my favorite part of that experience, ready, were road trips. I loved it, man. We get on the team bus. We, we, we drive up to play someone. That's where memories were made. We do bad things. We do good things. We win. We lose. You learn through all the experiences, right? Well, I remember this one time I'm going up. Uh, we're going up to Oklahoma City to play a game when I was in college, and we're on the team bus, and uh, we had some interesting characters on my team. I had this guy on my team. His name was Pat. Now, Pat was six foot seven, okay? And he was the goofy guy. Any of y'all ever have a real goofy girl or guy on your team? Anybody? Okay. Don't point. All right, so Pat was really goofy. He was six foot seven, about 245 pounds. When you talk to Pat, you'd be like, what's up, Pat? He'd be like, <laughs> he was that guy. You all know that guy, right? Okay, good. She's shaking her head. Yes, I'm afraid. All right, then I had another guy on my team. He, we'll just call him Chad, okay? And Chad was the troublemaker. Anybody know the troublemaker on your team? He got everyone on our team in trouble every trip we went on, but we loved Chad because he was fun. All right. And even though we got in trouble, he was fun. And so Chad's on the bus. So man, we're driving up to Oklahoma City. We stop off at this Texaco station, right? We're going to get some food. Eats, man. Eats. You got to have some eats. And so I go into the Texaco station and I get my normal. Here's my normal. What's your name, man? 
Hey, Ryan, what's up? Don't be afraid. I'm nice. All right, Ryan. So I go in there, Ryan, and I go over to my shelf, and I get a big can of Pringles. Can't have a small one. Got to have a big one. I get a can of Pringles, and I get a Dr. Pepper and roll them back out to the bus. But I look over, and Pat, the goofy guy, he's like, <laughs> all right, six foot seven, 245, look like he ate Godzilla. He's over there, and he's clearing off a shelf into a bag. And he's like, <laughs> look. I'm like, you're strange. I walk back to the bus. So I get on the bus, and sure enough, here comes Pat, and he's coming out the bus. He's got this bag, and Chad's on the bus with me, the troublemaker, right? And he's like, Lovell. Watch this. I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. All right, so I'm sitting there. I'm just eating my Pringles, my own business. Yeah, but Pat gets on. <laughs> and we're like, dude, Pat, what's in the bag? He's like, <laughs> and he pulls this thing out. How many of y'all have ever had a Hostess apple fruit pie? Anybody ever had one of those? They're the things that when you bite into them, like snot shoots out. They're nasty. All right, so anyway, he's got a whole bag. He cleared off the whole shelf. They don't even sell those things. You know, they're awful. They're like the honey buns that are like stale from three years before. He's got a bag. And Chad goes, hey, Pat, I bet you can't eat all of those Hostess apple fruit pies in 30 seconds. The team gathers around. Pat, Pat, Pat. Pat's like, <laughs> okay. All right, so it's the moment of truth. I mean, dude, if we had had cell phones that, like, did video back in the day when I was growing up, this would have been all over YouTube. All right, so we all gather around. Pat, Pat. And then all of a sudden, Chad counts it down. Three, two, one, go. He rips it. He goes beast mode, okay? So he's like, and he just starts eating his fast game. We're all just like, oh, my gosh. He's like, and he's eating it. Halfway through the 30 seconds, Chad goes, let's make him laugh. Maybe he'll throw up. I'm like, I'm in. All right, so halfway through the 30 seconds, we start making, I can't tell you what we were saying. I mean, it doesn't matter. All right, but we were saying stuff, all right? And all of a sudden, he gets choked up on a hostess apple fruit pie. He starts hurling. He goes into the house. He's like, he comes out. He's like, now I'm dodging apples. They're flying by my head. And all this stuff goes back into the house. He's throwing up. Then all of a sudden, 30 seconds up, he looks up. (laughs) And he's got this stuff dripping off his chin. It is the nastiest thing I've ever seen. Then all of a sudden, I heard the greatest thing I've ever heard all my life. I hear Chad, the troublemaker, say to Pat, what's in your nose? And we look over, and Pat's got a hostess apple hanging out of his nose. And Pat's like, (laughs) and he reaches up, he pulls this apple out of his nose, and he ate it right there in front of us. The greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Now, you can clap for that, right? Let's clap. Let's be excited. Now, look at your neighbor and go, tonight. Tonight, it's on, okay? And we're going we're gonna to hear stories tomorrow after skit night and after everything else about that, all right? Now, look, here's the deal. We are going to have fun in here, okay? So relax. We're going to have a great time. I am Mr. Fun, all right? So you're the luckiest group in the world, all right? So we're going to do this. It's going to be fun, and I'm weird. I'm going to tell you the craziest story that's ever happened to me tomorrow. So when you go to bed tonight, say a prayer for me. All right, so here we go. Back to the Bible thing. You all still with me? I'm ADD. You got to stay with me. All right, here we go. Ready? We're talking about commitment tonight. Now, look, this word commitment, I want to give you a definition of it. Ready? It's going to fly up on the screen. Here it is. Commitment, here's the definition, has nothing to do with your feelings or your emotions, but it has everything to do about doing what you said you were going to do to the person or the thing that you said it to. Just think about that for one second. Commitment has nothing to do with how you feel or what you're going through. But it has everything to do with you doing what you said you were going to do no matter what. Now our culture has screwed up this word. Our culture has messed it up. Let me give you an example. In the fall, I'm going to have 60 to 80 kids come try out for my varsity basketball team. They're going to come out, and I'm going to kill some of their dreams. It's the worst part of coaching, having to make cuts. I'm telling you right now. But here's the thing. Of those guys that come out, some of them are working right now in hopes that they can make team. They're committed. They're trying to make team. And some lucky 15 guys are going to make my squad. And here's the thing. When we get into it, they're not just going to be happy enough to be a part of the team. Now it turns into, can I play or not? And so now some of them aren't getting to play and their parents start calling me. Oh, Coach Lovell, you know, uh, Billy should be able to play more. Billy needs more playing time. Billy, and all this stuff's happening. I said, well, Billy proves it on the court. Billy gets more playing time. He has opportunity every day in practice. And then what happens? 
Well, Billy's not getting what he wants because it's not going his way. And so if staying committed, instead of staying committed to the team, no matter how it's going for him, no matter what his circumstances, no matter how he feels, what does he do? He quits. That's our culture today. If it gets hard, if it doesn't go in your favor, if it's not to your benefit, quit. That's why the divorce rate is as high as it is in the United States today. Because no longer do men and women stand across the aisle from each other and say, I do, no matter what. They say, I do if I feel like it in 15 years. Our world has killed this word. And it's even worse when it comes to students engaging in a committed relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, if things are going good in my life, praise God. I'm at church every day. The minute things go bad, God hates me. I'm mad at God. Something is wrong with him. It's definitely not me. And so you don't read your Bible for six months. Or you stop going to church or you take on addictive behaviors. Hey, look, I live this life with you guys every day. I know how it rolls. Commitment has nothing to do with what we're going through or how we feel. It has everything to do with us doing what we said we're going to do in the first place. My dad was a football coach. And my dad taught me this. He said, Chris Lovell, you will never quit a team. You will always finish what you start. I'm always thankful to my dad for that one lesson. Because he taught me what this word means. And there were times where I didn't get to play. I was on the eighth grade basketball team and I was the last guy on the bench that got to go in the game. The last guy, and I hated my coach for it, and I blamed him, but it was me. I had to get better. But I remember being mad at my coach. I remember it not going my way. I remember being embarrassed when my friends would come to the games. I remember, and I remember wanting to quit. But I remember my dad telling me, Chris, hang in there. Keep working. Just see it through. I'm so glad I didn't quit in the eighth grade. Do you know on that eighth grade basketball team that I was the last player on the bench for? That I was the only guy from that eighth grade basketball team to play college basketball? If I had quit in the eighth grade, I would have never seen it. Commitment. It's not about how you feel, whether or not it's going your way. It's about sticking to what you said you were going to do to the person or the thing that you said it to. My mom and dad were great people. Mom was a school teacher, dad football coach, all right, with me? Great people. They were awesome parents. Some of you all have awesome parents. But my parents, when I was growing up, didn't know God at all. We never went to church. I had never been to a church. My parents were great. They provided everything. They worked their tails off for me to have what I could have and to do what I could do. But they just didn't know God. And my parents loved alcohol. They loved it. My dad made the best margaritas in town is what his friends would say. And that was their vice. They loved to party. They loved to drink. And it just became an addictive behavior in my parents' lives. I'll never forget, when I was in the sixth grade, I got a girlfriend. I know y'all can't believe this. I'm not that good looking, I know. But listen, there's hope for us ugly people, all right? So I got this girlfriend in the sixth grade. Her name was Shannon. Oh, Shannon, she was pretty, man. She had pigtails and glasses. She was pretty. And her parents loved Jesus. And her parents invited my parents to a Christmas party. My parents loved to party. They said, yes, we'll go. But this wasn't your normal Christmas party. This was like a church Christmas party. So my mom and dad show up at this party, right? Around Christmas time, my sixth grade year in school. And my dad's looking for the alcohol. Ain't no alcohol. they're, They're walking around. They're trying to figure this thing out. And it dawned on them what was going on. And so they're there. And they're hanging out. They're meeting people. My parents are great people. They're fun. And and they get to the end of the night, and about 30 people in this house on Turtle Creek Lane in Shreveport, Louisiana, gathered in the den of Shannon's house, and the pastor of the church stepped forward, 
And I believe God put the only guy in that house that my dad would listen to on that night. The pastor of that church was a guy named Andy Hamilton. Andy Hamilton was the tight end for the LSU Tigers. And in Louisiana, there is no other university. Andy Hamilton walked up. Not only was he a tight end for the LSU Tigers, but he played in the NFL. His cousin was Burt Jones for the old people in the back. You with me? And Andy Hamilton stepped forward and told that room of people on that night how Jesus came into the world and that he came to save us from ourselves. And that if we would cry out to God, that he would forgive us of our sins, that he would adopt and accept us into his family where we could be forgiven, have a relationship with God that ends in heaven one day. And Andy Hamilton said, is there anyone in this room, in this living room, that wants a relationship with Christ? And there were two people on that night that said, we want that. And it was my mom and dad. My life changed that night, and I had no idea. I got up the next morning, and instead of my dad being hung over on the couch from the night before, he was at the breakfast table reading his Bible. I had never seen a Bible before. I walked over to my dad, and I said, Dad, what is that? He said, Son, in his football coach voice, this is a Bible. He says, You're going to be seeing me reading this a lot. I had no idea what he was talking about. It's like, okay, it's a big Harry Potter book to me or something, right? And I walked off. Later that week, my dad on a Thursday night got my sister and I together in the den. My dad had, he knew nothing. <laughs> and he got us together and he got out the Bible and he read my sister and I a story in the Bible. He didn't know what he was doing, but he knew he had to tell us. They took us to church, so that was an experience. I mean, I'd never been there before. I mean, I have all kinds of little things I could tell you that I was thinking, but I won't get into that. Every morning, getting up, watching my dad faithfully read the Bible. Every Thursday night, my dad sitting my sister and I down reading us stories out of the Bible. Every Sunday, my mom and dad taking us to church, never shoving it down our throat, just modeling, listen to this word, commitment. Three years later, of watching my dad faithful, committed, I walked into the breakfast room, he was reading his Bible, I'll never forget it, I was 14 years old, fixing to start my freshman year in high school. And I walked into the breakfast room and I said, Dad, if God can change me like he's changed you, I want in. And my dad, big man, just moved me over close to him. And my dad led me to Christ. My world changed when I was 14 years old. Look at me, students. I can honestly say this phrase. I've never, ever been the same. It affected every area of my life. And it still does. Because I entered into a committed relationship with Jesus. Tonight, I want us to explore what this word means in the context of the Bible. If you look in Ephesians chapter 5, let me give you a little context. Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. Let me tell you what was going on. I'm going to go fast now. What was going on is he was writing to the church. So he was writing to believers, right? Everybody with me? And what he was doing is these guys, there was extreme persecution going on. In their time. In other words, they were being made fun of for their faith. They were getting killed for their faith. They had forgotten what their commitment level should look like. Some of them had started engaging in behaviors that were ungodly and so forth. And Paul writes to the church to remind them of their commitment level to Christ and what they should be about. And this is where we pick up 
here in Ephesians chapter 5, if you look at verse 15, we're just going to look at three verses of Scripture tonight because i got more for you tomorrow. But in chapter 5, starting in verse 15, let's read it. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but live as wise people people, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is for your life. I'm going to give you three points tonight if you're taking notes. The first thing I want you to write down is your life matters. Write it down. Your life matters. Here, when this was written, when Paul wrote this, he the very first thing he says to him is, be very careful then how you live. Look at me. How you live, how I live matters. And he goes on, he says, while you're being careful in how you live, he says, don't live like an unwise person. Do you know what it meant to live unwisely when this was written? It meant that you lived your life neglecting the worth of your soul. It meant that these people were living their lives and they were neglecting that their life mattered to God. They didn't understand how valuable their soul was to God. Students, look at me. He says, don't live unwisely neglecting the worth of your soul. He says, but rather live wisely that you would understand how valuable you are to God. That you would understand that Jesus died upon the cross for your sins so that you could enter into a committed relationship to Jesus who was ultra, ultra committed to you. Your life matters. I don't know how to explain this to you, but I have kids. And every night my kids go to bed before me, right? And before I go to sleep, I go into Paxton's room and Paxton's 12. And I go into Paxton's room, and I'm not like Creeper Dad or anything like that, okay? I just love my kids. But every night I go into Paxton's room, and I take my hand, and I put it on Paxton's chest. Why? I just want to make sure he's breathing. Because he matters to me. And then I go to my other son's room, Bowman, my nine-year-old. And I go into Bowman's room. And I just get down real close where his mouth is wide open drooling. I just get down real close just so I can hear him breathe. Why? Because he matters to me. And then I go into my princess's room, Carrington, KP. And I go into Carrington's room and I just stand over and I'll just touch her foot. Just to watch her kind of flinch. I know it's kind of mean, but I like it. And I just touch her foot just to see her react. Why? I just want to make sure she's okay. Because she matters to me. Every night I'm home, I have my ritual, my routine. Because my kids matter to me. Look at me, students. You matter more than that to God. Your life, your soul, means everything to him. Second thing, write it down. Not only does your life matter, but your time is short. Your time is short. You say, Chris, what do you mean? Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says this, that we should make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. We should make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Look at me, students. Look at me. It doesn't take a genius to look at what's going on in the world and figure out the days we are living in are evil. And they're getting worse. The culture is getting more perverse. Am I correct? World activity is rising There is more friction in the world today than there's been in a very, very long time, if ever. Our time is so short. The Bible says our lives are like a vapor. They're here one second and gone the next. The Bible also says that we do not know the day, the place, or the time that Jesus will return, but that he will come like a thief in the night. It could happen at any moment. 
Our time is short. And so it says here that we are to make the most of every opportunity we have. See, when this was written, when Paul was writing this, the people of this day, they were sea traders. And they talked about, if you read commentaries on this passage, they talk about redeeming the time. That they would make the most of their time to where they would use their time so wisely that they couldn't buy it back because it was used so well. Question for you and me tonight. How are we using our time? Are we making the most of every opportunity? Because look at me. Every single one of us lives in an evil world, whether you like it or not. We're going to make the most of every opportunity. My youth pastor is one of my heroes. I think that's why I was a youth pastor for 20 years. And when I became a committed Christian, I went my youth pastor to a Christian conference at Reunion Arena in Dallas. They've torn it down. Okay, it's not there anymore. Don't go Google it or something, all right? And he took me there, and there was this guy that gave me this workbook that was about this thick, and they said, you're going to fill this out. But, like, honestly, I didn't care about all that. I went for the girls, okay? Let's be honest. I was 14. All right, so I'm sitting there, but this Christian band came out, and I never heard a Christian band before. And they came out, and I love music. Anybody like music in here? Uh, yeah, everybody's like, <laughs> all right, so I love music. And I'm sitting there, and this Christian band came out, and they played this song. And as a 14-year-old, I have a pretty good memory because I'm, like, way older than that now. I know you can't believe that I'm older than 14. But, but I was sitting there, and I never forgot the words of this song. Here's what the words of this song said, and it reminds me of this. Are we making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil? It says this. It says, you can act phony. Fooling all your friends, but you can't hide anything from him. He knows your heart and what's there within. No, you can't. No, you can't fool God. Here's the chorus. I won't sing. You can't fool God. You try and you fail. You can't fool God. He knows you too well. He knows everything about you to the last detail. No, you can't. No, you can't fool God. I've never forgotten those words. Because in that moment, I went, dang, he knows. I can fool you. I can fool Steve. I can fool all my friends, my parents. But at the end of the day, God knows me and everything in my life. Are you making the most of every opportunity because your time is short? Lastly, and we're done. Write this down. Seek God with all that you are. Your life matters, your time is short. Seek God with all that you are. Look at what the Bible says, verse 17. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is for your life. It's a real long verse, right? It says, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is for your life. He, Paul looks at the church and he says, don't be stupid. Don't be foolish. Commentaries say this, don't be ignorant of your duty. He calls the church to not be ignorant of their duty as believers. He says, don't be foolish, don't be dumb, but understand what God's will is for your life. Now we've made God's will a spooky thing. You've got to go put a towel on your head and meditate for 900 days to get an answer about what cereal you're going to eat tomorrow. Not true. I do believe there are things that we have to seriously meditate on and seek God on through his word. Understand what I just said. However, God's will for your life, my man, and my life is very, very simple. One, that we know God in a committed relationship. Where we are as committed to God as he is to us. Two, that we're growing in this committed relationship to God. That there's a desire in us to be like God, to become holy as he is holy. To take on the form of righteousness, which means right living. It's interpreted as godliness. And then the other part of God's will for our life is that we are actively living out our lives so that others may see Christ in us. It's a very simple thing. That is God's will for every believer on the planet. Are you with me? He says, so don't be ignorant of your duty. Your duty is to know God. It is to seek God in that relationship, grow in Him and to make Him known by how you live. 
I mean, it's a very, very simple thing. And some commentaries would say like this, that you are to seek God, that you are to consider all of God's things, and you are to study God in the effects that it comes out through how you live. I love that. Here's the thing. The question I have today is, are you committed? Or are you someone that prayed a prayer when you were six and you never read the Bible and it never meant anything to you since? That's not a relationship. And I'm not, I will not ask you to doubt your salvation. But guys, understand this. I don't want to live my life thinking that a prayer did it for me and I've never ever spent time with Jesus on my own, ever. That's a dangerous place to be. A relationship is one that's engaging, where I talk, where I spend time, where I live out, that I study, that I seek, I consider. Question for you tonight. Are you committed? How many of y'all believe that a picture is worth a thousand words? I do. I believe that. I'm a visual learner. You can talk to me about something, but if I can see it, I go, oh, because maybe I'm, a, I'm just a dumb athlete. Maybe I just, it takes me a while. I don't know. But if I can see it, I get it. Tonight, I want to remind you of what true commitment looks like. If you would, just watch the screen. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son And make wretch His How great the pain of searing The Father turns His face away Has wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons to glory
here's the thing with that. If you take all the emotion out of it, all you need to remember is the commitment. And I want to demonstrate for you how committed God was to you and to me. Because, see, back in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That would be called the book of Genesis. And God created everything. Now, listen, very good. And when he created everything, and Logan's going to play behind me. Don't let that freak you out. But when he created everything, he looked down and he created man. And he created woman with whom he was well pleased. And he placed them in a perfect setting, right? Remember this? Called the Garden of Eden. And they were there, and it was perfect and everything. But being human beings like they are, they were tempted. And God gave them one instruction. They said, you're in a perfect place. You do whatever you want to do. Now, don't miss this. But don't eat the fruit of this tree. And sure, they were tempted just like we're tempted every day. And a serpent came and said, hey, the reason God doesn't want you to eat of that tree is because if you eat of it, you'll be like him. You'll be an equal. And so, man, that starts working on it. And man and woman get together, and all of a sudden, what do they do? They eat of the tree. And they, eat, they do the one thing that God told them they could not do. And then at that moment, look at me. Sin entered the world. And when that happened, When sin entered the world, there was this great chasm, this great divide that became between us and God. Because God is holy, he can have nothing to do with sin. They're incompatible. They do not work together, nor will they ever. And so all throughout the Old Testament, if you ever wondered how all this worked, check this out. All throughout the Old Testament, God left man unto himself to try to figure it out. And so man would run around, and there were some people who really, really loved God, right, in the Old Testament. And then there were people in the Old Testament who really, really didn't love God, and they went along their own way. Even when God would deliver them out of captivity, they would still turn their backs on God because they didn't get it. And then there was this time where God would get frustrated with his creation, and they would do things that God knew were wicked and evil, and there were times where he wiped creation out and tried to start over. It's called the flood. And then there was this time where they're following God throughout the the wilderness after they've been delivered out of captivity in this cycle all throughout the book of Exodus and Judges. If you read the Old Testament, and I encourage you to, all throughout the Old Testament, this cycle repeats itself where they would follow God. They go, yes, God, thank you for delivering us. Yes, God, thank you for forgiving us. And then they would get going and walking with God, and then their commitment level would sway, and they would go and worship false idols. They would get distracted, and they would do things. That, that weren't approved by God and they would turn their backs on God and then they would repent and then they'd follow after God, they'd get distracted then they'd repent they'd follow after God, they'd get distracted and then they would repent and this cycle goes all the way through the Old Testament and then you get to the books of the prophets in the Bible, of the Old Testament and then God started sending people 800 to 1,000 years before Jesus ever showed up on the scene. And he started sending the prophets to tell the people of the world that a Messiah is coming. It's a prophecy. A prophecy that he would be born of a virgin. A prophecy that he would come to, to forgive the sins of the world. That you need to repent of your sins and turn to God because... The Messiah is coming. 800 to 1,000 years before Jesus ever showed up. Then you turn the page into the New Testament. In the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And then all of a sudden, what happens? Jesus shows up. And he's born of a virgin, fulfilling prophecy given. 800 to 1,000 years before he was ever to be born. And then Jesus starts to walk this earth and he lives a perfect life so unlike you and me, right? So unlike any other person to ever live. And he heals the blind. 
And he makes the lame to be able to walk again. And he starts to teach in the synagogues. And, and, and there are people going, who is this teacher? There is something different about him. And people start to follow him. And he starts to call out his closest disciples. And they're watching him do all of these works. And hearing him teach all of these things. Watching the miracles as he feeds the 5,000 with loaves of, of, of bread and fishes. And they're watching all of this stuff. And then what do the Pharisees, the religious people of the time, do they get jealous? Because they were rule keepers. And this guy wasn't keeping the rules. And so they betray Jesus. Even one of his own betrays him. They take him into captivity. Check this out. And they say, crucify him. Put him to death. But I want you to understand something. That while that seems unfair, look at me. It was God's rescue plan all along to bring us over the great divide between us and God and to bring us into fellowship them again he loved his creation you and me so much he couldn't let us stay that way and so jesus dies upon the cross for the sins of the world they bury him three days later he raises again people start freaking out they don't know what to do and then he starts showing up and he starts letting the disciples see the holes in his hands and in his side let them touch him so they can know that he was real that he was the one true God, the disciples are in, they're in uproar, they can't believe it, word begins to spread, and then Jesus calls his disciples, look at Matthew chapter 28, 29, and the great commission is given, and right before Jesus ascends into heaven, he gathers his team together, his 12 closest followers together, and he says all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me, therefore you, talking to his disciples, you go into all the world, and you preach the gospel and you make disciples and you baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and you teach them to obey everything I have commanded to you and don't forget I will be with you every step of the way they hear that pep talk that charge from the Messiah and he ascends into heaven and the disciples are like oh my gosh They've watched this guy heal people. They were believers. They were committed through thick and thin. And they go out into the book of Acts. And they start what we know now as the church. They start the church. And Peter's message all throughout the books of Acts was repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. The same message that the prophets gave a thousand years before. See the line? You see how God had this all planned? And they start telling him that all of a sudden, thousands start coming to Jesus, start getting saved. Their lives are being changed. The greatest Christian hater of all time, Saul, falls to his knees after killing Christians. And God saves his life and he professes, enters into a committed relationship with Christ. And Paul now is the guy that we read the scripture that he penned that God told him to write down. God is in the business of changing lives. Students, look at me. And I am living proof that he is still doing it today. Every Sunday in churches all around the world, whether it be in Africa or Texas or Alabama, God is still alive and moving. And the church that the disciples went out and started is still flourishing. Why? Because it was some trend? Why? Because it looked good on social media? No, 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 no. Look at me. The only reason something like that can last that long is because Jesus was the Messiah and he was God's rescue plan for the world. The question tonight for you and me is do we know Jesus Christ in a committed relationship? How committed are you? And tonight, I'm not going to lie to you. Look at me. I will never lie to you from this stage. Some of you, you're not. You've been living a lie, hoping, praying that you are. But you're not committed to God. Some of you are. some of you are and right now I want everyone to just bow their heads and close their eyes I am not going to trick you 
All I'm going to do is ask you one question. I do not beg people to respond because if I need to beg you to do something, you don't need to do it anyway. I don't want anyone moving. But if you're in this room tonight, and I know it's been a long day, but we're not going to use an excuse. But if you're in this room tonight and you say, Chris Lovell, I know I just met you. But I am not in a committed relationship with God. I have not asked him to save my life. I am not walking with him. But I want to be. And I want to know him. And I want to be in a committed relationship with him in this lifetime and walk into heaven in the next. And if that's you and you're in this room, I'm going to ask you, when I count to three, to raise your hand. That's no tricks. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you. And so, God, I pray right now for the young man, the young lady who's sitting in this chair that knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are not in a committed relationship with you. Dear Lord, I pray that they would not be able to resist you. So if you're in here tonight and you no one looking but me and you say, Chris, I need to be in a committed relationship with God. I need that right now. If that's you, when I count to three, raise your hand. Ready? One, two, three. Go. Put it up. Leave it up. You have 30 seconds to respond. I will not beg. Anybody else? Thank you. Amen. Anybody else say, that's me. I need to be in a committed relationship with Jesus Christ. I need that. 15 seconds. Anybody else? 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. With no one looking, if you raised your hand, I want you to immediately stand to your feet. Go. Just stand up. Don't think. Just stand. Nobody's looking but me. Amen. Anybody else? That's me. If you stood up, I just want you to walk to me. No one's looking but me. Just tell the person next to you to move. Just come to me. Everybody else be praying. If you need to join them, you can walk up here.
Now, for the rest of you in this room, with no one looking but me, I want you to consider this. Some of you being in the church that you're in, and I know your church well, you know Christ. But some of you guys are struggling in your commitment right now. And if that's you tonight, I'm not going to make you tell anyone, but we're just going to deal with it as the week goes. But I do want to pray for you tonight. And so if you're in here tonight, you say, Chris, could you pray for me? I'm struggling with my commitment right now. Being as honest as you can be, just say, pray for me. If that's you, when I count to three, would you raise your hand? Ready? One, two, three. Raise your hand. You can put them down. Let me pray for you guys. God, thank you for being so good tonight. I thank you for these that entered into a committed relationship with you. And dear Lord, for the honesty in the room on night one to just say I'm struggling in my commitment. I can so relate to that at times in my life. And so dear God, I pray for the students that acknowledge that. Dear Lord, that you would remind them that they are not bad but they are more loved than ever before. And that you got them. And you're not going to let go of them. And Lord, I, f- I pray this week would be an encouragement to their lives. That no matter what's going on in their life, no matter how they feel, that they would stay committed to you and remind them that you are always committed to them. That's my prayer. And so, Lord, now as we sing to you and and worship you, I pray that you would be well pleased. I thank you for these students and their life in this week in which you're going to work in all of our lives. And we sing to you now. It's in your name that we pray.